and welcome to BiblioChat, brought to you by Bibliosoup.com. I'm your host, Forrest Hillbutt, and on this episode, we will be discussing advertising and how it relates to the Catholic Church. And in order to discuss this question, I have a very special guest with me, Taylor Weeks. Taylor, how are you? I'm doing well, Forrest. Thank you for having me. Taylor is an executive at Harris Insights and Analytics, where branding and brand identity is a core aspect of the business. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. So we're a full service market research company, and we ask people a series of hard questions, distill it down into simplified data, and give our clients recommendations. It's all about branding. It's all about better understanding your customers and what sort of message you're putting out into the world. Nice. Okay. So, so what, what are the, who are the top brand companies that really have a, a good grasp on how to build an image? Honestly, the brands that everybody thinks of, Apple, Nike, Google, Amazon, the first two are really highly respected and sought after given how they've been able to craft their image of their brand over time. The other two are a little bit more problematic and they have encountered some issues as of late, but really the brands that have stood the test of time that have crafted their brand image and been able to iterate over time, such as Apple and Nike. Those are the two that really come to mind when I think of brand image and navigating that world right, successfully. Right. Okay, so so eventually we're going to link this to the Catholic Church, specifically the Catholic Church in the 16th century. Mm-hmm. Um, and so like one, one of my core questions is, um, like what, what goes, how do Nike and Apple really become such strong brands and like very identifiable companies? Yeah. Well, there are two totally different strategies that were undertaken. And to be honest with you, the, the life cycle of each company up until this point has been starkly different. So Nike started back as a running shoe company, creating first waffle iron shoes. And that since then, Phil Knight has recognize the importance of celebrity endorsements and creating a brand image to differentiate himself from his competitors. Realistically, the shoes that you buy at Nike may not be that much different than the shoes that you would buy at Walmart. The price point is quite different, but the products themselves are pretty much the same. And then Apple has gone through an incredible set of up and downs, culminating with its most recent upswing right now with the phone, the tablet, the watch and everything like that. Steve Jobs and Phil Knight can both be counted as the visionaries that have established their companies as centerpieces in modern, the modern world in the commercial landscape, whether it be a Nike store, an Apple store, Nike's headquarters in Washington, or Apple's headquarters in Cupertino. You start from the beginning with visionary founders, and you end up today with these modern, massive behemoths that continue to succeed. Right. Okay. So, so kind of what, what my question is, and what I'm curious about, is what I read. I wrote an article on my website, Jesus and Nike. Very good article, by the way. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> and what and what I was trying to link is how, through the use of like imagery and advertising and sponsorships. You know, Nike Nike builds the belief that their products are have this like superior kind of aspect to yeah, them. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why we buy them. Yeah, there's this embedded perceived. Uh, there's this perception of luxury and performance and consistency embedded within Nike's swoosh, their singular logo that has been the same forever. Right. The colors have changed, but what Nike has been able to do is just you see the logo and you know 
it's going to be expensive. It's going to be quality. It's going to be really nice. They've been right. able to craft that over time, and they've been able. So there's all these like associated meanings totally. in like a single. So it's actually image. interesting. That's one of the things that we uh, look at in this new advertising and brand management tool that we've built. We look at the attributes that are associated with Nike. Some of them can be visionary, cutting edge, authentic, and then you actually see some that are surprising. Whereas traditional. How can something be both cutting edge and traditional at the same time? So there's sometimes a juxtaposition, but the lion's share of the attributes associated with Nike are exactly the attributes that you want to be associated with. Cutting edge, trendy, right. fashion forward, those sort of attributes. Right. Okay. Okay. So, so you can, maybe you can help me with this question. So, mm-hmm. um, I, I found a connection between what you're talking about in the image of Jesus and mm-hmm. so through my research, what I found is that his depiction has changed dramatically over time. Mm-hmm. And I'm kind of wondering if there's any similarities in, oh, in this association. Oh, you've got me getting goosebumps because there's so many parallels. Granted, the timeline in which we're referencing Nike is somewhat smaller than the timeline of Jesus's depiction mm-hmm. over the last however many years. Nike, like I said, started out, Phil Knight was a, uh, a runner at... Oregon University, the Oregon Ducks, and then he developed with his coach this shoe that had a waffle iron underneath to be able to craft the tread to be able to run smoother and more efficiently and better. And that's where Nike started out today. And if you were to fast forward, I think it's maybe 50 years at this point, and see where Nike is currently, you'll see a brand that's associated with the best musicians, the best athletes, even political figures, the best of the best. And looked back and thought that's where Nike would be. Not right. Okay. So, so it's those associations. It's with the totally those associations. And so comparing this to Jesus, um, what was very curious to me was the way he, the way that he was depicted mm-hmm. when Christianity was first, you know, growing as a religion yeah. was so much different than he looks now. So like, for example, why is that? Yeah. Why do you think that right, is? Right. So I, so so there's this great example in Rome uh, where Jesus is depicted in a, it's a fresco bit made in the fourth century. Mm-hmm. So very, very early in the Christian religion. Okay. And this is, and it's significant in this early period because Christianity was kind of competing against other religions. Mm-hmm. So the, the dominant beliefs at the time were ancient Greek and like Roman gods. And, and so if you try to put yourself in the shoes of, of a Christian leader trying to generate interest in Christianity, like what would be the approach to you know, depicting Jesus? Honestly, it's the same exact things that commercial leaders in today's day and age try and take on. Right, right. Yes, like it's a very similar question. Yeah. And, so, and so he's depicted, curiously to me, like on a throne as an imperial ruler, mm-hmm. like, like an aristocrat. Uh, like powerful figure. So he's sitting on a throne and the 12 apostles are sitting below him. And he's positioned in a way where he's, he's in a very commanding position. And you think about how he looks today. He's on a cross and he's in a very... He's been humanized. Right, right. He's like, he's... But I would say he, he looks humanized, but it's also compared to his aristocratic depiction... He's like degraded. Yeah. Almost, okay. Almost like if you at least compare the two. Yeah. And so kind of like my point is here. 
the progression is from a strong aristocratic leader in the fourth century, fast forward 1500 years to the Renaissance, 1400 years, and it's completely different. He's, he's on a cross in pain, he's bleeding, but mm -hmm. also very realistic looking. Mm -hmm. And so it, I guess that produces, you know, like a more human connection. Yeah, and know. over that time, Christianity grew in leaps and bounds in popularity. It, is, it was the dominant religion at the time, right? Right, right. Yeah, so that's there are so many parallels to let's you let's continue using Nike as an example, like you did so articulately in uh, like you articulated so well in your blog. Nike started out with paper advertisements and flyers at running meets to be able to sell their shoes. Fast forward to the Olympics when they sponsored an Olymp Olympic athlete and he ended up winning. Fast forward to Michael Jordan becoming the first endorsed, really big endorsed athlete. And they continue, they become the dominant basketball shoe of choice. Everybody wants a Nike shoe contract. That goes hand in hand with branding. Over that time, Nike's perception had to evolve. You can't be a running shoe company and start selling basketball shoes and think you're going to immediately be successful. The disciplines are two entirely different things. The demographics that you want to sell the shoes to are very different. Fast forward to Tiger Woods and golf. Nike was battling against incumbents such as Callaway, Titleist, Ping for dominance in the golf category, and they signed up Tiger Woods. Now, they've since exited building clubs, but their clothes are ubiquitous with golf. Everybody wants a cool new Nike right, golf shirt. Right. And sponsorships were a method by which they could evolve. Now, they've also evolved in terms of how they think about their advertising. They have different nuanced advertising depending on what it is that they're advertising. If they were to use the same discipline to advertise sh uh, running shoes that they would have to basketball shoes, that they would have to golf, they would have failed miserably. They understood that the times were changing and that they had to come through with new revolutionary ideas in advertising and campaigns and new messaging. And right. So it's like a constant battle to, like, constant to maintain battle. the image of superiority mm -hmm. through all these different like advertising avenues. Mm -hmm. And because what's interesting to me was before the Michael Jordan sponsorship, Adidas was like the biggest oh, hands sporting down. brand. And before, uh, so there were Japanese shoemakers that would manufacture all of the shoes before Nike even started. Adidas was big. Puma was big. There were all sorts of brands that existed, and Nike was battling the incumbents that had a really strong hold over everything. Right. So it's right. So, so if you're trying to like break through belief systems, like yeah. re, you're just trying to like realign everyone's perceptions. Yep. And it's like the same thing as religion, you know, like exactly. same thing with like, especially in the like 16th century, 17th century, with a high illiterate population, yeah. the mm -hmm. power of imagery is very strong. Oh yeah, and if, they so, can, if they can't read the Bible, then they can at least go and see. What was that? What's that really cool church that you always um, talk about? Saint Peter's Basilica. Yeah, it's amazing, right. and that that, it, that can stand as you know a monument to the faith and the dominance and right. the power. Yeah, Saint Peter's Basilica, in my opinion, has to be one of the greatest achievements in Western European art. I've I've I never mean, seen a building like that. It's it's so beautiful. It's un it's amazing, and it it just go it just um, it supports. You know, the the just the theory of superiority, like yeah. like associating yourself with Catholicism, mm -hmm. uh, is what 
you just do because it's yeah. the it's it's the dominant it's the dominant religion it's a dominant force it's, it's a way of life at that right. you know it's how you those are your guiding principles and that's how you live life and honestly nike's slogan just do it kind of encapsulates some of those same ideas when you wear nike you and you see these athletes on today's commercials in the today's you know shorts or podcasts or whatever they're embody they embody everything that nike stands for and they are the representation of just go and do it and right. just kind of power through and succeed. And that's kind of what it sounds like you're saying with the Christian church. Right, right. And this, and this kind of, this segues into another interesting idea. So as we've discussed, you know, the Catholicism was the central dominant religion. Mm-hmm. And you kind of see that, you see the power and strength of the church is reflected by their architecture and art patronage. Mm-hmm. Like in order to finance a church of the magnitude of St. Peter's Basilica, you have to be the size of a corporation. Oh, yeah. Kind of it, at the Catholic time. Church was probably one of the biggest corporations at the time, although it's right. not thought of that. Right. And so, and so I'm cu- kind of curious what you think about this idea. So in, this, in the 16th century was the Protestant Reformation. Mm-hmm. And so the leader of this movement, Martin Luther, the core of his belief was that the most important thing in being a, a follower of Catholicism was an individual's relationship with God. Okay. So, so that means like the, um, the bishops and the popes, they weren't really important. They're just kind of like earthly intermediaries that yeah. really didn't have a big influence on, you know, God's decision on how you ended up going to heaven or not. Mm-hmm. And so you can kind of see how like this belief system uh, that Martin Luther was was supporting could have undercut all of this, like all of the visual evidence of Catholicism, such as like the the art and yeah. the buildings that makes you believe in its power and strength. Yep. So you know what's interesting? That makes me think of the strategy employed by brands today to fight big incumbents like Nike. So Nike is flush with cash. They have the best athletes. They have the coolest stores. They have the nicest products. Incumbents today try and fight Nike under the guise of being, you don't need all of those expensive athletes. You don't need to pay those out, guys. Yeah, You don't need to pay. (laughs) Thank you for correcting me, Forrest. You're so (laughs) much more articulate than I am. But they don't want to have... Uh, you paying for athlete salaries or anything like that. So there are countless direct-to-consumer brands like Allbirds and, you know, you can name a, a bunch more. And the tax that they're taking is very similar to Protestant Reformation and Martin Luther in that they don't need... You, do you really need to pay $130 for a pair of basketball shoes when you can buy the same thing for 60 It's a more bare-bones approach, and the utility from the product will be all that you get from it. You will not get the notoriety and the cool factor of wearing an Amazon Basics running shoe for 50 bucks that you will get for, uh, you know, the coolest carbon plate Nike running shoe for 150 That's the strategy that they're employing, and I've never thought about it until now, but there are so many parallels between the two kind of ideas. So... I want to look at the progression a little more closely and okay. how, um, like the progression of the image of Jesus mm-hmm. and the progression of, of Nike. Okay. So, so as we were discussing, there's one of the earliest examples of 
Jesus's depiction was in the fourth century in Rome, where he's, where he's depicted as an aristocratic ruler who's strong and powerful. And like, it's interesting to compare a 1,400-year progression, where in the Renaissance, he was depicted so much differently. He was you know, on a, depicted on a cross in almost a humble and degrading way. But, in, but importantly, he looked like a human among people and not an aristocrat. And it's, it shows a full progression. Um, and a reason for this, which I thought was really interesting, is that with the growing interest in science and anatomy, you know, Italian Renaissance artists were able to create much more realistic depictions of Jesus. So like the artists like Michelangelo and Leonardo da Vinci, now both of them stuttered, both of them studied cadavers and mm-hmm. dead bodies. And they, they dissected them and they studied the muscle structure and the bone structure. And this interest in this anatomy is, is reflected in how Jesus was depicted. Um, and I think that's just, a, that's just an interesting progression to me. Yeah. And, and, and eventually, you know, and I would argue the way that Jesus looks now is, finds its roots in the Renaissance because he's so realistic looking and he's, he can relate to like human pain and suffering. Yeah. Whereas the aristocratic approach wasn't the case. It's all about, as a brand, maintaining relevancy with your constituents. And if you're a politician, understanding what they want to vote for. If you're a brand, understanding who they want to buy from. The same exact thing can be seen at Nike and how it's progressed over time. Whether it be the rise of running and the running shoe creation, the popularity of the NBA in Michael Jordan, or the first black athlete in golf in Tiger Woods. Nike has always been a master at staying relevant for the times that it was in. It's a really small window when compared to Catholicism over the time frame that you've just mentioned. But right. you can even see that today, where Nike is taking a stance on social issues and being very progressive and making sure that people understand when they wear Nike products or support Nike services, where the brand stands on a number of social issues. 15 years ago, it wasn't as relevant for a company to have a social stance. Now they've done that. This is the most recent iteration of a brand that has mastered the various stages of being relevant over its life cycle and how it's expressed today. So, so we've, we've been discussing uh, successful examples, uh, you know, how, how strong the Catholic Church is in, in producing imagery that persuades people um and how that parallels with other modern companies can you can you think of any examples where there were companies that like failed to adapt and failed to to that's develop that's a fantastic question uh there are so many that come to mind but i'll use two specific examples to outline failings for different reasons one of them being blockbuster the other being sears so blockbuster was relevant until they were not. And they were disrupted by Netflix and streaming services, the internet, all of those various kind of 21st century ideas. They could not adapt from a product standpoint, nor could they adapt from a messaging standpoint and acknowledge that the world was changing. The internet was going to disrupt every single thing that we touch on a daily basis. They thought it wouldn't touch them. How naive in hindsight is it when you have all of these streaming services, HBO, Amazon Prime, Showtime streaming, Netflix, Roku, Hulu, 
it's part of the modern culture and idea to talk about the show that you just streamed last night, not the DVD that you picked up from Blockbuster the night before. And they got crushed. They were relevant and could, at one point, the dominant fat force in the DVD rental market, and then the inter internet totally disrupted them. Another really good example would be Sears. Sears, at the time of my mom and dad's, you know, teenage years was the store that you would go to if you wanted anything it was viewed very prominently Sears Roebuck they had the best brands they had they paid their employees really well you could make a decent living being a shop uh, you know being working in a department at any one of these whether it be the auto uh, changing area or the women's apparel or the men's apparel or the sports or whatever it may be they were entirely disrupted because they couldn't change their branding and their imagery over a time period when things became a lot more cutting edge. Sears fell from prominence as Nike rose to prominence. Also, a factor that contributed to their downfall was, again, the internet. People being able to shop online and get whatever they want the next day. People don't need to go to malls anymore to get the clothes that they want to. Actually, so, so Nike's website is I think it's structured very well Yeah. with how you can go through and look at products. Yes. So were, were these companies like Sears completely behind on this online shopping? Absolutely. So they were in a scenario where they were so dominant and generating so much cash flow that they didn't see around the corner and make moves to, in the short term, cannibalize some of their existing sales in the long term, set them up for the next wave and the next you know, generation of consumers. Their website, presumably, they didn't really have one. Their decline had already been started before that. But I can think of a zillion other examples of brands that don't have as good an online shopping experience and have a fantastic in-store presence, but just aren't right. successful. Right. So it's really interesting to me just how, how the Catholic Church like, kind of is a corporation. Oh, like so you you just reminded me of many examples of like or many parallels like if, of of how religious leaders of early Catholicism you know they they were a corporation that to attract followers mm -hmm. you know what kind of imagery do you put out there? how do you attract people and like generate revenue right? I, yeah, and I think one of the most important ideas is new customer acquisition and the channels through which you accomplish that. The Catholic Church back then had the Bible, they had their massive structures that were a testament to the power and of Jesus Christ, and they had flyers. The world was a lot smaller now, back then. Now you have all of these different channels for distribution and consuming advertising. You have native advertising in TV shows. You have LeBron James having a talk show and pitching Nike, and that's just part of entertainment. You have online. You have every single banner ad or display ad that you want. You also still have some of the remnants of days gone by where Nike stores in New York City, Chicago, Los Angeles are really cool places to go to. So it's not good enough to be just proficient at one channel of new customer acquisition. You have to be good at all of them. And that's really what differentiates companies like Nike and the rest. They're good at every discipline. They're good at generating the creative that make people interested. They're good at capturing those sales, and they're good at delivering a consistent, thoughtful, fantastic product that outpaces their competitors. Right, right. Oh, yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and it also reminds me how 
how so today with the digital world mm-hmm. there's so many images you see everywhere through different avenues like your phone the tv also like even like gas stations now are yeah it's trying, trying to advertise you yeah so it always kind of throws me off when i hear someone talking through the yeah pump. but um but so bringing it back to the catholic church during the renaissance they the they were the central patrons of art and like what and like artistic depiction so they kind of had a it's like if they one, had a monopoly on right. what was produced and who produced it and access right. to the best producers right and so i'm trying to like that was the same today imagine like one company having control of all digital forms essentially would kind of be how the catholic church was yeah it's kind of it's a little it's that's an interesting well no that's a really interesting thought exercise and i don't know if that would even be possible the dominance the catholic church experienced over that point of time can never be replicated again because people are now so unique people different countries different ideals different identities people are so interested in being unique having their own identity despite them not really being unique wearing the same shoe nike shoe as two hundred thousand other people doesn't make you unique if you're the only one in your friend group that is wearing that shoe sure maybe you are but the idea of being an individual and identifying with brands that are in line with your social and uh ideal uh, your social ideologies is really what breeds success now and people want to feel like they're just in tune and support brands that support them right and so you know there's definitely a lot of parallels in a corporate uh, monopoly in today's day and age i guess that's such an interesting idea the closest can be see the world is so different now too there are technological barriers that prevent upstarts from get taking share of their competitors and um, disrupting the incumbents. Google, I think of now, Amazon, Android. Those are now actually being classified as monopolies. Today, I think there was a decision handed down that stated uh, Facebook was a monopoly. Its shares were up 3.5% because they were coined a monopoly. Right, right. Yeah, no, that's fairly interesting. Um, We're getting off the rails here a little yeah, bit. Yeah, that's, that's fine. <laughs> the the, the cor- corporate monopolies we can save till. Uh, oh, that'll be good for the next episode. Till next episode, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, well, thank you for joining. Um, I, th- I think we really got to the bottom of this question. Um, some interesting perspectives from the 21st century and mm-hmm. and early early Catholicism. Isn't it interesting how so much as as things change, they they stay the same. Right. You know, right. it's just like really what it comes down to. Right. Yeah, but thank you for having me, Forrest. This has been a lot of fun.